Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. It's the goal of the Res Talk podcast to communicate late breaking news and thoughtful insights into the broad array of topics and the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings and related topics and to the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear more about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. This is to the ResTalk community. We hear you and wish to engage. So for some, a broader definition of housing includes more than just rental cost. It also includes energy, water, transportation, and healthcare, where in many cases, just simply the location has impact on indoor air quality and hence the quality of the residents and their healthcare and their healthcare costs. So today we're gonna listen in as ResNet board member, Abe Kruger of the SK Collaborative, describes how half of his work now relates to working with states to help determine ways that lead to improving this broader definition of affordable housing. And many of the skills he learned and the knowledge he has acquired in the course of his career as a HERS Raider and in his business at the SK Collaborative now come into play in this assessment of affordable housing. So let's listen in as Abe shares with us some topics about the broader definition of housing costs that's beyond just rental costs. Good morning, Abe. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Abe, for the listeners out there that might not know you, you're the most smiling face guy out there that I know at the ResNet conference. So tell the listeners a little bit about your company, SK Collaborative, and what you do there. Yeah, so I'm the co-founder and one of the principals of SK Collaborative. We were founded five and a half years ago. So last January, we celebrated our fifth anniversary. I co-founded the company with my business partner, Carl Seville. And about 90% of what we do is multifamily green building certifications, energy audits, tax credit work. So we tend to live in the multifamily space quite a bit. So that's apartments and condos. And then the other 10% is single family, it's whole communities, it's light commercial, it's curriculum development, it's technical writing, it's this fun grab bag of stuff. And we're based in Atlanta, Georgia, but we work nationwide. Right now we have projects in about 13 different states. That's an awful lot. Tell me a little bit about your partner. I'm sure people have heard the name, but give us a little bit of background on why you teamed up with Carl and what he adds to the mix. Yeah, so we were working on projects for about five years before we officially merged. So together, we wrote a residential green building textbook. We would partner on anything of volume. So a multifamily, an apartment certification project, we would work together on that. On single family projects, we would actually sometimes compete. So it's kind of interesting, kind of running in parallel, but ultimately we decided to merge. His backstory is he was a renovation contractor in Atlanta for 25 years. His peak, he was probably the largest renovation contractor in the metro Atlanta region. So he's seen a lot of things inside the walls. Oh, yes. And he brings a lot of experience on working on historic homes, older homes. Over the years, he built a handful of custom homes. So his kind of range of real-world nuts-and-bolts experience has been really valuable. Got it. So now the definition that you use for affordability, or how do you look at that? How do you kind of dissect the total cost? What's your view on that? 
Great question. And this is definitely one of my kind of soapbox issues. So let me pull it out, dust it off. And I think a lot of people think about affordability in terms of just the rent or the mortgage. And that's not what I would say the accurate approach. We really need to look at all the costs that come with housing. And those are your utility bills. So energy bills, electric or natural gas, water bills, but also where is that home located? And do you have to drive long distances to work? Is there public transit nearby? So utility bills, transportation, mortgage or rent. And then the fourth category is really health. A lot of people don't think about the impact of the house on your health. So both the location of that home impacts your health and then the indoor air quality of the home can drastically impact your health and ultimately your medical bills. Wow. So that's pretty comprehensive there. When it comes to the energy aspect, let's talk a little bit about how these apportion out percentages just in general. What do you see the range of like rent to this total cost and energy to the total cost? Any kind of ballpark numbers there? Certainly the rent or the mortgage is going to be the most significant cost. And then it tends to be your utility bills, or it can really be transportation costs based on where you're located. And then health costs are kind of that wild card. So if you're in a home where there's mold, there's mildew, there's really poor indoor air quality, those are all great asthma triggers. And so if you or maybe your child has asthma, you could end up with routine ER visits, bills that would kind of quickly eclipse your rent if your child or you is constantly dealing with asthma issues. Maybe some of the listeners know or have heard that making a house energy, performing well energy-wise, also has impact on the health aspects and the indoor air quality. You want to delve a little bit into that on how you see that? Yeah, so we do a lot of work in apartments that are getting ready to be bought, and they're going to use tax credits. And so these apartments tend to be just kind of the term is naturally occurring affordable housing. So maybe not the greatest maintained properties, but the rent is very low. So people gravitate towards them. And a lot of times the owners or landlords are kind of walking this line where some would call them a slumlord. These are conditions that are very poor inside the homes. We go in, there's broken drywall, there's mold, there's water damage, there might even be active plumbing leaks, there's broken windows. And so our job is to kind of assess the pre-renovation conditions, and then we come back post-renovation to document improvements. And we do this for low-income housing tax credits. We do this for utility energy efficiency rebates. So we find ourselves in these homes quite a bit. And just doing the inspection, you're in that home maybe 30 minutes, an hour, but all day long going from unit to unit. And we start to feel the impacts of the mold. We start to feel the impacts of this musty environment. There's also cockroaches or other pests oftentimes. So all of these things can be triggers for asthma. They can also just give you headaches. Mold is an allergen. And the responses to it kind of range from headaches to you could even get a little tired to coughing to respiratory infections. So those are the types of things we see quite a bit. And it tends to be kind of pretty obvious to us because we're experiencing it firsthand that this is not good for your health. So delving into your HERS background, your training and doing HERS ratings, how does that kind of perspective tie into this work? It plays into pretty much everything I do. And 
I'm somewhat unique in that I got my start in this field in 2004 when I went to work for South Face in Atlanta. They're an environmental nonprofit that's been around about 40 years now. And I was one of the lead HERS trainers. And I was a HERS QAD, quality assurance designee, running the HERS providership. So I kind of got my start teaching HERS classes and then doing quality assurance on HERS ratings. Today, I keep my foot a little bit in that world, but I'm primarily a HERS rater and someone who runs a HERS rating company. And so everything we do kind of ties back to the HERS rating, even if it is not an actual confirmed rating. Our credential is what opened that door (laughs) for us to do this work. In the process, I mean, you're working on the same object, the house, the apartment or whatever. That's the same kind of thing you would rate, but you... Your training kind of reveals for you clues as what to look for, how things relate in a building science way on a home performance, building performance type of aspect. Correct. And if we're working on a program that requires testing, generally they require that you are a accredited HERS rater. So the credential also allows us to do just the testing. Even if we're not doing a full HERS rating, the testing piece oftentimes requires a credential, and that's what we use our HERS rating for. Hers Raider designation for. I was speaking with someone the other day and they talked about a looming housing crisis. Does that thought kind of echo in your mind and how would you express that? I would say it's not looming, it's here. <laughs> We're experiencing a housing crisis. It was, I think it was just last month that the Harvard, what is it, Center for Joint Housing Studies, I probably butchered that, but they published the report that last year, Around 1.2 million homes were built, and the demand is 1.5 or 1.6 million homes. So we are just not building enough homes. And so what's the impact of that? Home prices are increasing in most markets. Also, it means that if you're a builder, you're going to build whatever is going to make you the most profit, which just makes sense. And so that tends to be larger homes or at least more expensive homes. So what we find is that kind of starter home and even the step up home where you might have had a starter home and you want a slightly bigger home or a slightly nicer neighborhood, you're getting priced out in both of those. And so it tends to be the more expensive homes that are available right now and being built. So you'd share with me an opinion piece that you wrote for the, was it the Atlanta Journal? Atlanta Business Chronicle. And you use the term LIHTC, the low-income housing tax credit. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how that's kind of ringing in your world? I said about 90% of our work is multifamily, which represents around 13,000 units of multifamily across the country. About half of that is affordable. And when I say affordable, I mean there is low-income housing tax credits, LIHTC, associated with the development or they're using a HUD loan or Fannie or Freddie loan that has a requirement for an affordable component to it. Low-income housing tax credits, the way it kind of works is you have HUD, who has a big pot of money, and they are funneling it to the states. So every state gets money to distribute through low-income housing tax credits. Every state has a slightly different, or in some cases drastically different, process for awarding the tax credits. And then it's further broken down into really two pots of money. One is competitive tax credits. And these are the ones that developers joke about. They'll sell their firstborn to get a more competitive (laughs) application. And then you've got 
non-competitive, meaning if you just meet the requirements, you get the tax credits. And this is how the vast majority of affordable housing is getting built. And it tends to be kind of the constraint on the amount of affordable housing being built. The constraint in terms of the quality construction, the depth of the energy efficiency, what kind of constraints are you talking about? Yeah, sorry. So the constraint being the amount, really. Because if you kind of think about housing and this housing crisis we're in and this affordable housing crisis we're experiencing, the way you get affordable housing, when you think about the cost of building a home or building an apartment building, you've got your land costs, your labor costs, design costs, if there's architects or engineers, and then material costs. And so you're kind of stuck with, well, what can we really change? (laughs) How do you build it cheaper? And at the end of the day, you really need subsidies. That's kind of what we're stuck with. And so the amount of low-income housing tax credits is what's really kind of dictating the number of units of affordable housing that's able to get built. And in some markets, there are foundations that step in. There are other funders and lenders that have kind of mission-driven initiatives to promote affordable housing. But at the end of the day, most affordable housing needs some sort of subsidy. And is there a, a limit on how long that program is going to run? It depends on the program. Generally, they require that a unit remains affordable for 15 years. Some require 30 years. And I have seen some programs where it's a kind of in perpetuity forever, but that's very rare. For some developers, kind of the model is you get tax credits, you build it, and then at that 15-year mark, you're selling the property. And so that tends to be where much of their kind of profit comes from is on that back end. And the tax credit itself, is that going to continue on or is there um, some expiration on that? It expires when the affordability kind of requirement ends. All right, got it. So a lot of times that property is getting sold at 15 years and then the buyer is using new tax credits to come in and to renovate that property. So it tends to, a lot of affordable housing properties are on 15-year cycles because you buy it, you renovate it, you then sell it at 15 years, that new buyer buys it, renovates it, operates it for 15 years, and you're in this cycle. And that way, the property is routinely getting updated. It maintains its affordability. It's an interesting kind of, what, model that we've kind of stumbled on over the years or settled on. Tell me a little bit about the curriculum uh, development work that you've done and, and how that reaches out and touches the industry, especially in HERS ratings. Yeah, so that's, again, really how I got my start was teaching the HERS Rater class. And so after South Face, I worked for a contractor in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing HERS ratings. I really enjoyed the work, but wanted to get back to Atlanta. And when I moved back, I connected with one of my old students who was an instructor at a technical college. And he was telling me that they were working to develop a semester-long class. Would I be able to help them? And so that's how I really got into developing from the ground up a curriculum. So it was basically a HERS based class. That was a semester-long course, and it's a course in a box. And so I sold it to that technical college, and then I worked with a number of community colleges and technical colleges. And this was 2009 and 2010. So you might recall the market was not doing very well. Right. Kind of tough out there. Yeah. We had a stimulus act. There was a lot of money going into education. And so there was a lot of these green job programs coming up. And so I did that for a number of years, doing like train the trainer, working with organizations. And then 
Like I mentioned, Carl and I wrote a textbook. We also were the lead authors on the Lead for Homes version 4 reference guide, which was a fun project. And every so often we do lunch and learns. So we're conducting a lot of classes. Today, I'm not creating curriculum for third parties as much. Yeah, I find this a lot of the guests I interview that are immersed in the world of HERS ratings are often spending a fair amount of their time doing education. They're just kind of sh- they're sharing what they know and building the knowledge and interconnectivity in this market, which is great. And that's another reason why I love interviewing people on this podcast is to learn more about what they're teaching. They know things, but they also teach what they know. So that's a really great attribute. Kudos to you and Carl for doing that. Thank you. And I mean, we enjoy it. We like improving the industry. But I think kind of when I teach classes for HERS raters and I kind of mentor other entrepreneurs and other individuals, teaching is a great way to network. Being the expert is a great way to also generate leads. So it's not all altruism. Sure. But it's a win-win. Right. If they want you coming back doing more great education, somehow somebody, something has to pay for that. So that's the way I rationalize that too. So Exactly. But it's also fun. I really enjoy teaching and I enjoy the dialogue that's created. And I just love adult education because there's a lot of, it's a two-way street. Your students also are a wealth of knowledge and they have much that they can share and contribute as well. So every class, I feel like I always come away learning something as well. In Georgia specifically, again, this article you had shared with me, you talked about a qualified allocation plan and using green building requirements as a minimum construction standard. How did that develop and how is it going now? So it's been a long process, and this is one where I need to kind of kind of give kudos to South Face, because they've been pushing the Qualified Allocation Plan, or QAP, for literally decades, and getting the state agency, Department of Community Affairs, to really look holistically at affordable housing. And so if you read Georgia's QAP, it's really interesting to see what's in there. Because they don't just want low rents. They want to create communities. They want to create healthy environments. And so when you read through the QAP, there's requirements for community spaces. There's requirements for activities and programming. And then there's incentives for things like community gardens and doing training and classes on healthy eating, after-school programming. So there's lots of optional points to really encourage developers to again, think holistically about how do they create an environment where individuals can truly thrive. And so South Face has been consistently kind of nudging and pushing them along to say, you got to look at energy efficiency, you got to look at sustainability, got to look at health. And so they've been really the champions of that and have also helped create real ecosystem here in Georgia of other organizations that are also pushing the QAP along to be better and stronger. Do you see any other areas in the country where this is happening since you do work in many different states there? Oh, definitely. And I would say Georgia is one of the better ones, but we're not the best by any means. There's been a number of rankings over the year kind of looking at the greenness of QAPs and states like California and Massachusetts, New York, the areas where you kind of think they're leaders in energy code and construction codes, a lot of times they tend to also have very progressive and forward-thinking QAPs. In the Southeast, I would say we're definitely one of the better ones. But then you find states like Mississippi, where they require green building certification 
for all of their low-income housing tax credit projects, which is amazing. And it's today, it's really not that big of a lift for developers. There's not that much in the way of added costs. So it is a real simple thing that has very measurable impact on people's lives. That's awesome. And we're hearing more and more about the connection between energy efficient homes and healthy homes. And we did talk about that a little bit before. Are there any public health studies you're aware of or any public health initiatives that are spurring these kind of things on either in Atlanta or elsewhere? Yeah. So um, in Seattle, what do they call their program? I'm not going to remember off the top of my head, but they ran a program for a, a healthy home certification and they tracked asthma incidences and costs related to childhood asthma kind of before moving in to these new homes and after, and they found a significant drop. There's been similar studies with weatherization programs where they measure medical costs pre and post and intervention or a home performance improvement. So there is a growing body of data now showing the real impacts on medical bills. Does that mean we're there in terms of like, we have definitively solved this and we definitely have a answer for every housing type? No, but I think we're getting there. And today what's really encouraging is health insurance companies are starting to really realize that the built environment, indoor air quality has a huge impact. And so we're seeing more and more insurance companies, even hospitals, kind of getting into the space of running their programs, which is super exciting and really encouraging to see. Right. And it all ties back into the general concepts of energy efficiency and energy costs and wise use of water and, and that kind of thing, and which has an impact on the cost. So all these things are interrelated. I love to see some sort of uh, Venn diagram of this. It's got to be very multicolored and uh, interesting to look at. <laughs> You're exactly right. It's all interrelated. And it's so interesting because one of the things that really appealed to me about green building early on was the fact that there's so many different benefits. And so when you work with builders who build a, let's say it's a LEED certified home, they've got a HERS rating, it's energy efficient, it's green, and they're faced with, okay, how do I sell this? Well, they can sell it the angle of it's good for the environment, you're saving the polar bears, you can sell it with this is a safe, healthy home that's going to be more comfortable. You can sell it with, this is going to have lower utility bills. There's so many different angles, and they're all true. And so it's really neat to see how, by improving the energy efficiency, it has these ripple effects and how it can improve your health, how it can improve the comfort of the home, how it can also improve the durability of the home. It will be more long-lasting home. No. You have to do a lot of work, again, like you said before, you said we're getting on your soapbox and working with different states and communicating with legislators, I imagine, or program managers. Are they receptive? Is the landscape changing for them in terms of understanding the ties between green building and these other factors? They are, and they're getting more receptive. And I think, again, it, it comes back to kind of tact and tailoring your message. So if I were kind of speak to similar-minded companies in other states, I would say find the angle that resonates with that state agency program administrator or that legislator. I just had a good meeting with a city of Atlanta official talking about energy efficiency, talking about affordable housing, and I made the comment that Atlanta 
is ranked fourth in the nation for energy burden. This is not something we want to be <laughs> high ranked for. What this means is the percent of your income that is going towards utility bills. So a lot of people are familiar with the idea that you don't want to spend more than about a third of your income on housing, on rent or mortgage. That's kind of the line that's drawn for affordability, just looking at rent or mortgage. Well, your utility bills, your energy costs shouldn't be more than 8% of your income. And so Atlanta, we're fourth highest in the nation. And that really disproportionately impacts lower income and minority communities. So there's an equity component to this as well. And that really seems to resonate with some community activist organizations here in Atlanta, with the city that has strong equity initiatives. And so, again, it's about kind of tailoring the message. One audience might really care about health, whereas another wants to talk about equity and issues in minority and lower income communities. That's a very interesting perspective. And I want to allow you that ability to have people contact you if they listen to the podcast and want to learn more. What's the best way to reach you, Abe? Yeah, my email is the best. It's abe, A-B-E at skcollaborative.com. Very interesting, very dynamic work by the SK Collaborative. And again, congratulations to you and Carl. And one other note that I think I'm correct on, didn't Carl recently build an energy efficient home or remodel one? Oh, yeah. So he, what, about a year and a half ago now, built his own new personal home and definitely took kind of the NASCAR approach, as we tease, where it's... NGBS, National Green Building Standard Emerald, it's lead version 4 Platinum, what Indoor Air Plus, Energy Star version 3, obviously a HERS rating, and he achieved all of this without any solar panels or renewables on site as he maintained his tree canopy. He's in a historic district within the city of Decatur, right next door to Atlanta. So it was a great project to work on. And on our website, there's a lot of information about it. Cool. I'm sure people want to look into that too. So great. Abe, it's been wonderful speaking with you today in this topic. And I want to encourage listeners to get in touch with Abe. And also skcollaborative.com would be the website so they could look up any articles or references or find out more about the work that you and Carl do. And your team does, I believe. It's not just you and Carl, right? You've grown. (laughs) Yeah. So it's the two of us plus a team of six. And I'll say the way we're able to work in 13 different states is through our network of subcontractors, through our network of partners that are all HERS raters. So when we do work in Orlando, we've got a local HERS raider that we partner with. Mobile, Alabama, we have a local raider we're working with. In Illinois, Indiana. So there truly is this kind of network of well over a dozen now rating companies that we're partnering with to help us deliver these certifications. That sounds like that's the key. And you all start on the same page with background in, in HERS ratings. And now you sort of have that component where you build the relationship up to cover these various out-of-state events or out-of-state activities. Fantastic. Clever of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's the only way we can do it. We're good, but no one's going to pay us to fly to Shreveport, Louisiana a dozen times. So luckily, there's a great HERS rating company there that helps us. I also want to congratulate you on being involved in the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. It was great. It was really informative and I learned a lot. Sounds like it. Okay. Fantastic. We'll close here. I want to thank Abe Kruger of 
SK Collaborative for coming on today to talk about affordable, energy-efficient housing. Thank you very much, Abe. Thank you. This was fun. I want to thank you for listening today to this episode of Res Talk, where Abe Kruger has shared with us some of the broader definitions of housing as just more than rental costs. If you're a pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or join the email list. You can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter at ResNetUS. Here's a quote or thought for today. I've always believed in helping your fellow man as profitable in every sense, personally and the bottom line. That's by Mario Puzio. If you're interested in feeding back to ResNet on what you heard here today or would like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. If you've not subscribed, please do so. That way you always get the new fresh editions of this podcast delivered to your podcast app immediately upon publication. As always, thank you for listening to Res Talk. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn, produced by Brian Orr, and is a production of ResNet the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Talk.